You're listening to the Mill Sunday School Podcast. We're in a, in a series called uh, Missions, Missiology. We're studying missions, studying, spreading the good news uh, outside of the walls of, of what we know to be as church, the big church, the universal church. And so, uh, so we're... We're doing that. Next month is going to start our topic. Next Sunday is pneumatology, the study of Holy Spirit. And so uh, we, will, we will begin that series. If you're going on missions, that's actually a really good topic to keep coming to Sunday school uh, because a lot of other countries, a lot of third world countries have a lot, of, lot to do with miracles. We're going to talk about miracles, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We're going to get into a lot of those things that you may experience on your team. So just, to, just a word to say whether you're a Sunday schooler or you're here for Mill Missions, next month's topic, Holy Spirit. It's pretty sweet. So anyways, would you uh, please welcome our missions uh, speaker, Evan Martin. Uh, Good morning. Uh, Thanks for coming. Cold, cloudy Sunday morning. Uh, We actually have a uh, special guest that I want to introduce to you guys. You guys know him well. Um, But he's, he's a man that I respect, that I can call a friend. Um, and that I am, I am very excited to, to hear from today. Uh, we're going to split time, and so this is kind of a throwback to an experience that uh, the two of us had um, in a country called Peru in a little town called Piura. We got to share time one time, and, uh, and, and at that point, when I got to hear him speak, I thought, man, he's anointed, he hears the voice of the Lord, and he, he can put his finger on the pulse of the people that he's going to speak to. So if you guys uh, will put your hands together and welcome up your very own Parker Crumbaker. Thank you. Thanks, Evan. Thank you for uh, allowing me to come up here. Um, once again, my name is Parker, and I just wanted to say that uh, uh, this is it's such an honor to be just look out here, honestly, at the Sunday schoolers, but also at you guys that are going on missions and think what an honor it is to serve with you and to serve for you and all that. And so I thank you guys for that dedication. Um, just a little bit about me. Uh, you gotta, you got to wonder how this guy got to this point. Um, I grew up on a farm in Kansas. If you're like driving on I-70 and you're like, this is the most boring part of the drive, that's where I lived, right in the oasis on the plains, Colby, Kansas. It's the only Starbucks in between Kansas City and Denver, if you're, uh, that's probably the only reason you know it. So I didn't grow up there. I grew up 15 minutes from there. There was a town of 300, and then I grew up 20 miles south of there. So I grew up 45 minutes in the middle of nowhere. Uh, With that, I grew up with three older brothers. And so, um, if you've ever, like, read maybe a little of Amos, the book of Amos, he's like the hillbilly. He comes, he's like hillbilly shepherd, and he comes into the city and tells all the Israelites what's going on and, and what they're doing wrong and all that. But he's, I mean, he's just backwoods, all that kind of stuff. I kind of feel like that sometimes. Oh, what am I doing in the city? I'd rather just be, have a shovel in my hand and doing that. But, um... What I want to speak this morning on uh, is the subject of creating powerful people. 
Um, this, was, this was so impactful for me when I just, uh, something God has put on my heart, and I really wanted to portray this, not only for missions, but also here for Sunday school and for every one of us in here as 20-somethings going about life, is this, is this subject of creating powerful people. Um, Jesus makes this statement in Scripture that, that really is profound, and sometimes we miss it. He says, I'm going to tear down this temple and rebuild it in three days. And the, and the, the, the leaders or the uh, Pharisees at times said, that's impossible. You can't tear down this temple and, and rebuild it in three days. That's impossible. Obviously, we know as, as Christians and, and uh, with the new covenant that Jesus was going from the old covenant to the new covenant. And so um, he, Jesus paved the way to say, I'm going to tear down that temple and now I'm going to live in you. I'm going to live in you. The temple is going to be in us. And I know this is, sometimes this is very basic Christianity, but I want to set some, some groundwork here for where we're going to go with this creating powerful people. And so my question is, where is the freest place in the universe? Where is the freest place in the universe? I mean, other religions, they have to go to a, a temple, or if you're, if you're a Muslim, you would, go to, uh, you would go to Saudi Arabia, and you would go to the holy place there. But where is the freest place in the universe? The freest place is in each one of us. The freest place that we can ever go is right here within us. And so with that, obviously, you know, the scripture says, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Um, And so if the spirit of the Lord is in us, we have access to the freest place in the universe, right here within us, right here within each one of us. And so I, I like to, when you speak on freedom, people get pictures of maybe the 1960s or something with some um, Woodstock or whatever. But really, freedom to me is like perfect, it's like a perfect structure or a perfect order, if that makes sense. Like, it's not a, it's not a go do whatever you want, but it is a perfect structure and a perfect order. And so um, bear with me, I'm, I'm setting some basis for where we're going, for where we're going today. Um, here's, here's something that I've, I've thought about, uh, just in the missions world. I think we, as a generation, we get to go, we have the best access to go on missions that any other generation has had. You can go on missions and not, you don't even have to preach the gospel per se. You could go do arts or you could go do whatever you want. And so I do want, I want to say, why are we going, like, what's mill missions about and what are we doing? And I think sometimes people feel disempowered that they don't want to do anything wrong. They want approval. And I'm, I'm here to say that it's in, it's in true relationship where validation and covering take place. And so sometimes we come, we come and we say, well, I've got to get into this church so I can get like a covering or so I can get like a scent out to the nations or anything like that. But really, what you guys are doing in your teams and all that, that is where validation, and that's where you're going to feel empowered is in that family, in that family of, of your team, of working things out. Um, I do remember my parents. I, I don't know if this may strike some people, a, a nerve with some people. My parents have never told me what to do in life. They've never told me what to do. If I call home to my parents, I ask them a question, and they give me a question back. It's, it, 
it just perturbs me sometimes. I'm like, you have the experience. Like, tell me what, what is going on here with your, what I should be doing and all this. Well, they, they always answer it with a question. Um, and, and it's like they know that I have to connect it in my brain. I have to connect it in my heart for me to really feel like a powerful person going out, or I'll feel like my parents are telling me what to do and all that kind of stuff. And so that may strike some of you. Some of you may have that. And I'm just saying that's where, it, that's an example of where you can be a powerful person. Um, it's, where, it's where the family is where the power and the freedom come. And and God set it up in such a way, or Jesus paved the way for us to go as a family, and not only in our blood family, but go into the family of Christ and be a powerful person. And so, I'm just setting this, I'm just setting this, and, and one thing I do want to say is, um, what's the best way? Uh, if you, just because we signed up for a missions application, or just because you went on leadership, or whatever, it doesn't, it doesn't mean that, uh, that you have everything in there. It's, it's you get sent out through relationship. It's not like you, if we had you sign up for a missions trip and then you just went on the missions trip right after that and didn't have the experience of relationship, then it would, you guys would feel, it would be a disempowerment on our part of not setting you up in that structure. So, um, I'm just, Mark 16, 15, obviously everyone kind of knows it. It's go into all the world and preach the good news to all creation. And I just want to give a little context on that. It's like Jesus spent three years with you. He spent three years with the disciples. So he had relationship and he built a family around him. He built this family of disciples around him. And now it's time to go. And now it's time to go. And I think that's what uh, us as missions is really the essence of. I mean, they, they had good moments. They had bad moments. Um, like I was talking with the leadership on the, the team leaders, is, uh, hey, remember when this one went out by prayer and fasting? Jesus was saying that. You remember when this one went out by prayer and fasting? Um, they, the disciples got the best family experience in the world by being with Jesus. And then he said, go. Um, I, think, I think it's good to realize that revelation um, from God, it must work in relationship. It's like, if I'm, oh, I am, I'm a single man. And so if I hear God say, you know, I was like, I was going to do an example, but no, I am the example. So, uh, but if, if I get a call from God to go to Asia, it's really easy. Is it not? I mean, I can, I can say, well, I'm just going to, I'm just going to tell a couple people. I'm going to tell a couple friends and then I can go to Asia, get some fundraising and I can go. But if you're married or if you're entrenched in a job or something, if you're smart, you'll ask the person in the context of relationship if you're going to go. Because I think for so long the church has, has, kind of, um, has kind of degraded relationship for the sake of the call, if that makes sense. If they degraded the relationship for the sake of the call, I said, like, a, like one of the a husband or wife says, I know that God wants us to go to China. And they say, I'm going to burn bridges to get myself to China. They may not say that, but that's really what they're doing. That's why I'm saying this stuff really must work in relationship. Uh, you know what happens when that stuff happens is, is 20 years down the line, you may be getting burnout, um, and, you're, and you're going to 
you're going to maybe church after church saying, who will cover me? Who will give me the, who will give me this like covering of going on missions or going, going out to where, what God has placed on my heart to do? Um, and, and the, the, the tension happens, the big tension will happen. Some of you may be feeling this right now is when you maybe say this to your parents or you say this to your friends and your parents are like, I, I don't really think you should be going to Egypt. I don't, I don't know if you should be going to Peru right now. And that stuff has to get worked out in relationship. That's a good thing to work that out in relationship. In the past, most people would say, would say something to the effect of, of screw you, I'm going to go. But that needs to be worked out in relationship. And some of you may be going through that dynamic right now with parents. And so that's why um, relationship is so, is so huge with that. Now, I want to get to a, a good point here is that um, is, is when I look on the missions landscape of, of the mill, I, I really think this is a time where we are gonna, we're going to switch. And, and not saying this has happened in the past. I think there's been, a, um, there's been some, but, but not always. But my concern is, is that maybe sometimes we're, we're sending out orphans instead of powerful people. And that, that hit me when I, when, I first, when I first kind of came to the grasp of that. I was like, man, I remember when I've gone on missions trips before and I have felt like the most powerful person. I have felt like my team and my, I was with a family and I felt powerful. There have been other times I've gone on missions and I'm like, I need someone to pour into me right now because I feel like I cannot do anything. I just want to sleep in my bunk on the missions trip and then get on the plane ride home and go home. And so that's why I'm kind of, that's why I want to really speak on this this morning is that we want to be powerful people going out on missions. And this is even in your work. This is, this is with your families, being powerful people and not being orphans. An orphan would, an orphan um, obviously, if, you, if you've ever held an orphan, you're, you're, I mean, you've got to be stupid if you're not, you know, touched to the core by being with an orphan. But an orphan would say is, is um, I'm waiting, is, is maybe we're creating people that are waiting to be picked by a mom and dad to do something. Um, and I don't think that's what the kingdom's about. I think, I think Jesus bought such a price that he said, Every one of us can be powerful people. He didn't buy a, he didn't buy a price on the cross that said, we're going to send out orphans. He said, we're going to send out powerful people. Um, and what I love, this is what I just, I just absolutely love to the core about Mill Missions, is that it, it is the relationship. There's a bunch of trips you guys can go on. You guys can go down to any, I mean, there's, there's trips everywhere. You can go on trips, Christian Christian trips which say, hey, we're going to go and, uh, and you guys are maybe going to visit an orphanage for an hour a day and then we're going to go canoeing and we're going to go do all these things. You're going to go do fun things. I mean, you guys can find an endless supply of missions trips. And that's what I love about Mill Missions is because sometimes you could, you could sign up for a missions trip and then you show up at the airport and meet your team and then you go on the trip and you you do stuff and all that, and then you come back. I mean, honestly, you could just play video games for five months straight and then go on a missions trip and have no real um, accountability or responsibility. And I, I, love what, I love 
seeing each team, and you, I can see it develop from just afar, I think each one of us leaders can, is people starting to accept uh, responsibility for things and saying, uh, and, and team leaders saying, I entrust you with this. I entrust you with this, and I'm going to let you run with this. And that's starting to happen. And that takes a level of responsibility, and there's freedom in succeeding with that or, or even failing with that, if that makes sense. It's, it's, um, I like to think of it like Aaron Stern is so great at that because uh, I fail. Uh, and he, I mean, I'm just thinking like the hammer is going to come down on this. I'm just going to get pulverized by Aaron Stern for what I just, stupid decisions that I just made. And he recognizes that there's freedom in doing the success and the failure and that it is a learning experience and God really uh, does something in our hearts where we, we, where we take off with that. Um, I just want, uh, and then in the last thing, just setting a base here uh, and then I'm going to just give four points on, on how how we can be powerful people. Um, when God reveals something, uh, it's usually in the early stages. Has anyone found that out? It's usually in the early stages. Like, he reveals something to us, and it's not like the full understanding of it has come. I don't know if maybe I'm just farm boy that can't figure stuff out, but that's the way I see it, is, is it's really in the, in, the, in the early stages. It takes some marinating and time to turn it into principle. All right, you know, when you guys can think back, maybe four years ago, God spoke something to you, and now you're saying, oh, that has become me, but it only became me now. It, it, didn't, it didn't just snap into place right there when God gave that revelation. It's like, uh, it's, maybe an example would be, um, Acts 2, it says, that the believers, they, they spoke in tongues. And they're like, whoa, this is kind of cool. This is, this, man, we're... Doing this where everyone's understanding in their own language and all this. This stuff's kind of cool and all that. Uh, and, and over time in the church, and it's taken obviously until the last couple century and a half, but that's become honestly a, a principle, at least here at New Life, but in churches worldwide of, uh, of being a principle instead of, oh man, this is in the early stages of what is this thing? And man, this thing... It's weird and all that, but it's kind of become like a principle um, in our lives. Um, principle, I will say this, principle is great, but if it blocks your ears from hearing the Spirit, then it can be harmful. If you're only going by principle, then if your two ears are hearing, all you're hearing is principle, then it's going to be, you're going to, you're blocking maybe the Holy Spirit. I like to think of it like be guided by principle, but one ha- have one ear open to hear the Holy Spirit. Um, and now let's jump into, I just want to give four things to each one of us. And this is for even you in missions. Um, this is for you guys in your jobs and all this on how to be a powerful person. Number one is learn how to instill responsibility and ownership. Joshua 1, 10 through 11, this is when Moses uh, had died already and they were ready to go into the promised land. He says, he says, get your supplies ready. Three days from now, you will cross the Jordan here to go in and take possession of the land the Lord your God is giving you to own. It's for 40 years, God 
provided all that the Israelites needed. Manna, water, all that stuff. I mean, it was coming out of, it was coming out of rocks everywhere. Water was coming out of rocks, all that stuff. But now, it's the Israelites' responsibility to take care of themselves. This is like a, a little switch right there. It's saying, you have to go in and you have to take possession of the promised land. And I think every one of us in here has our certain, certain little promised lands. Like it could be for someone, it could be, you know, my, my family is going to be my promised land. When I, when I get my family, we are going to do this. We're going to pray together. We're going to do all these things. That's going to be my promised land. For some of us, it could be the missions field. For some of us, it could be our job. You know, my job is so boring right now, but I'm going to make that my promised land. I'm going to pray for that thing. Um, uh, I live with uh, Big Bill McPherson. And, uh, and we went and worked out once, or like I was training him to work out, and, and, uh, and I, w- I actually threw him, I threw him in the pool, because it's the only place that he couldn't just smoke me at, was in the pool. But, uh, like, I would take his, uh, uh, I would only say, hey, you only got one breath to go the full length of the pool. I would do stuff like that, and he would just, he would give me the evil eye every time I said you could only take one one breath, but he did something that was so profound to me that was about this kind of like promised land is like he would, when, once he finally got like one breath to the other side of the pool, he would just roar out. I mean, I'm sure everyone in 24-hour fitness could hear and he would just go, milk and honey. He was milk and honey. And so he was, it was, it was his little promised land of, of he's swimming this pool length and he would just scream milk and honey. And uh, I, lo- I did, I loved that. I was like, what, what is he, oh, okay. I see what he's doing there. Milk and honey, all right, I got that. Um, it takes responsibility to get you kind of out of a slavery mindset. Think about this. It took 400 years to get Israel out of Egypt. But it took 40 years to get Egypt out of Israel. It took 40 years to get the slavery mindset out of, out of Israel in the desert. It was 11, I think it was 11 day journey. Is that correct? 11 day. I mean, that's like walking from Colorado Springs, the Kansas border is what it should have been was like an 11 day journey is, is that's all it was for the Israelites. It took 40 years and, and God was, what God was building this responsibility in them. Um, I will say, let people feel the weight of responsibility. Let them feel that feeling of responsibility. Let them, let them succeed. Let them fail. Let that thing happen. Uh, my responsibility in the mill is, is, is to give people responsibility and let them, and let them run with it. Uh, and, so, and so what that happens is there's a true owner of something. If there's not a true owner of something, then it's always going to get, it's always going to be weird and, and, and it's not, never really going to, to pan out well. Um, and that's creating powerful people is when you give responsibility to them. Um, I, uh, I became a Christian six years ago, and then three months later I joined uh, 24-7 Leadership Academy here at the church. And so uh, one of the things I did love about being in that program was when we got to just serve on the like, lowest level, when we got to just stack chairs and clean toilets and do all that stuff. I don't know why, but it's like... It's like something bursts in you of just doing the little things in life. 
And some of you may have come into your team and say, I'm going to do this, I'm going to do this. Or you go into your job and say, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to wreck this world with my ideas or whatever it is. And some, some of us just need to maybe stack some chairs or go up to the leader and say, I will do the dirt, I mean, the worst thing that I can, whatever you're just like, the bane of your existence, whatever that is, I will do that for you. That may be fundraising. Whatever it is, I will help you out with that. And so, um, and so number one was learn how to instill responsibility and ownership. Number two is become unoffendable. Become unoffendable. Have you, have you ever noticed that the thing you desire has popped up in someone else first? That's, it just it irks me sometimes. It's like sometimes people... Um, want this gift or they want like, man, I just wish that I could like lay my hands on someone and they would be healed. And then out of the blue, like this fresh new Christian that was on drugs and plays video games for 20 hours a day and all that stuff, lays his hands on someone and they get healed. And you're like, I, I'm praying and I'm fasting and I'm I'm trying to, like, I feel like I know this thing. I feel like I know what's going on here. And then, and then this guy comes and, like, is, is Paul in one day. And I'm, I'm sitting here, and I can't, I can't do anything right. But it's in that point that you become unoffendable. It's in that point that you say all right, I know I'm going to keep on pressing into this and I'm not going to become bitter because of this. This can be in many realms of life. I'm just giving a spiritual example. Maybe you want to be the best computer programmer and you have spent, you, you have your master's and you have all this stuff and then some Joe Schmo off the street comes in to your company and he has no degree and he's 18 years old and he lives at home and he does all these things and he comes in. He's the greatest computer programmer in the world. He just knows how to do it. It's in that point that we become unoffendable. Um, number three, so that number two was become unoffendable. Number three was stay hidden. This one's a, a big one for me. I love, I love this one. Stay hidden. If you give up your right to be known, God will do the rest. If you give up your right to be known, God will do the rest. Self-promotion comes from the lack of trusting God. Believing comes before understanding. Um, Learn to stay hidden in the hidden place, in the hiding place, in your hiding place. Um, In the truest sense, like of, of community and family, let someone else promote you. Not in a like, I'm going to plant a seed in their mind of them promoting me, but of just letting, know who, knowing who we are in the secret place with God, and then letting, letting others promote us within the family, letting our team leaders say, man, I'm going to give you this responsibility because I see the responsibility that you want to take on. Um, man, this one's so hard because I, I used to be a huge gossiper, but, uh, God will trust you with secrets if you know how to keep them. God will trust you with secrets if you know how to keep them. When God, when God like speaks to me, my first, I, I don't know if you guys had this, but my first reaction is I got to go share this. I got to go, man, I got to go like tell every one of my friends. I got to go tell my friends that I hope that my friends will tell their friends and that this thing will spread like wildfire. And what I'm finding is, is sometimes I just, 
kind of want that recognition. But I also find that, and maybe this percentage will go up, but I find that like 95% of those seeds that God places in me need to stay between God and me. He, it needs to come to a full realization of, of what God wants it to bring. Um, I put like a 95% on that. I, it may be 99% of the things. But those revelations, I have to work those out in, those hi- in that hiding place with the Father. I have to work those out. Um, fear of man, it, um, fear of man is, is, some people have some definitions. I think this one was a good one. That uh, is, fear of man is, I love the affection I get from you when I do something. I love the affection I get from you when I do something. And that was, um, that was really what the Pharisees were about, is, is they wanted to do stuff. They loved the affection that they got from the crowds. They loved that, that beam of light going on them saying, I like the affection that I get from you. God will take care of us when we stay hidden with him. Psalm 91 is a good scripture of staying hidden in the Lord. Um, uh, just a, like a physical example, when I, I heard that I was coming in the 24-7, I heard that uh, we had to swim ungodly amounts of uh, laps when we came in the 24-7. And so I, out of my four brothers, for some reason I never picked up swimming and I never really cared too much. I just honestly really liked flapping my arms up and down in the swimming pool. I thought that was, I thought that was fun. Even when I was 18, I thought that was fun for some reason. Uh, but I did hear that we were going we to do swimming. And so um, I was back in Kansas, Kansas. I was at Fort Hayes State University. And I said, I am gonna, I'm not going to tell anyone, but uh, all my friends knew me as a, as a bad swimmer and all that. But I'm going to go into the, into the swimming pool at Fort Hayes State University. This is kind of weird, but just, just go with me. And I, I would go underneath the water with my goggles, and I would watch great swimmers and I would watch how they would swim. I know it's really weird. You're thinking I'm a weird person. But you've got to figure stuff out sometimes. And I would go watch them, and then I would go mimic them. I would, just, I would, like, I would go do a lap, and then I would go under the water again, and I would be like, oh, okay, I need to do that because I'm sinking right now. And, so, and I would just figure that out. But it took, it took that much. You, you guys know if you swim or if you do athletics or anything like that, you get into this motion where it just becomes second nature to you to swim. And that's what I was, that's what I was building. And that's what really getting in the hiding place is, is you build, this, you build this flow with the Lord where it's like, this is my natural, this is what I was made to do, was to get in the hiding place with the Lord. Um, and, and also, like, learn, learn to get into the presence of God with no distractions. Um, sometimes, I, I call it, and this is maybe a bad way to say it, but it's kind of like bored, getting bored with the Lord sometimes. But it's like you go out to the, you go out into the middle of the meadow. Sometimes I'll just go, I'll just, take a, uh, I'll just take a folding chair and I'll just go in the middle of the meadow. And, and because I'm, I'm thinking about 80 different things in my head. And I'll just try to get there with no distractions. And you know how it usually goes when you're in the meadow. You're just like, you're going like this, and then you're like, squirrel. <laughs> squirrel. And then, you know, you, you keep, Lord, I just love you, and a uh, squirrel. <laughs> and you just, and you start, you just start getting distracted. Uh, 
with things, and, and you've got to learn. It's like a learning to, to, to t- take away all those distractions and press into the Lord. And so um, I, I like to think of it like this. The kingdom, the kingdom is set up in a way that you can defy everything that comes across our path. Jesus defied everything that came across his path. He had a solution for everything. F- food shortage, who, I mean, this is college, got college people in here, got food shortages. He multiplied the bread. Storm on the Red Sea, I mean, storm, I mean, he, I mean who's going to defy a storm? It's a storm. It's nature. He calms it. Someone's sick, I mean, someone's sick, there's something in their body that's, there's no, that's, should be there. There's no way that can come out just like that. He heals them. Jesus defied everything and was, was successful at that. And so he set us up where we can be successful at everything, where we can defy things that come across our path. But it is in that place of staying hidden. It's, it's saying my identity and my assurance comes from the Father. Um, I, I, find that, like, I find that when I like, leave that place, sometimes I start losing the grasp of what the Father's heart is. Is when I start start panning out and saying, I can do this stuff on my own, when I start getting away from that, is when I really lose grasp and when I start making maybe even theological, like, oh, I know that I, this is what I believe, and it's not really what I believe because I've just gotten away from hearing in the hiding place what the Father has, has been speaking. So that was number three. Number four, last one, is, to, is uh, this, one's, this one Obama would love. Learn to embrace change and initiate it. Learn to embrace change and initiate it. it. It is true, though, in the church, it is tough for us to change sometimes. I think we can all kind of admit that. I think uh, sometimes our mantra is, if it's not broken, don't fix it. If it's not broken, don't fix it. But essentially what you're saying is, there's nothing else to go after. There's nothing else to go after. Uh, there's a story of, uh, and... and I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna go into the scandal, but Tiger Woods, after one of his most successful seasons in PGA, he won majors. He was the top money earner. He had everything going from him. He said he did this. He said, "I'm gonna switch uh, swing coaches, or, or for his uh, his stroke, I'm gonna switch it, and I'm gonna switch up my stroke." I mean, who does that? This guy is making multi millions of dollars. And in the middle of the apex of his career, he says, I'm going to change. I'm going to change my stroke because I know that I can better it. I know that it can become better. The next year he goes out, he works so hard on changing his swing that he has probably learned from a child. And he works on it and he, and he sits there and he goes, uh, and he becomes greater because of that. He, he starts winning more majors. He starts winning more games and all that. Um, it said that 80% of people stop growing after the age of 30. 80% of people stop growing at, after the age of 30. Um, for us, look, look for ways to develop yourself. Um, like, like, I understand that my level of excellence is, is a lid, um, if you want to go John Maxwell on it, is a lid for, for everyone else uh, around me. I don't want to be that lid that... that presses down on them and doesn't allow them to flourish in things. Um, one thing I, I adopted this, uh, this, this year is um, I tried to take up snowboarding. I've been skiing for 
14, 15 years. And it is, I mean, I wanted to cuss when I started to try to snowboard. But I recognized, I was like, I don't want to be that dad. I don't want to be that dad that sits there when his son or his daughter says, hey, dad, can we go do this? And I'm like, I got I to gotta read the newspaper right now, son, or I got to do this. But I want to be that person that says, no, I'll go try something even if I fail at it. Because guarantee snowboarding, first day, Tony Hill can say, I, I failed. I failed miserably. I was scooting on my butt the whole time, and it was horrible. But I, I love skiing, so it's like, why, why would you do that to yourself? Who does that? Who goes snowboarding when you can ski the whole time? Um, so the, the four things have become powerful... Uh, powerful person are uh, learn how to instill responsibility and ownership, become unoffendable, stay hidden, and, and learn to embrace change and initiate it. Um, in conclusion, I just want to say each one of you guys are a powerful person. You may not feel it and all that, but God has put a seed in you. He has put the spirit, his spirit in each and every one of us. And he said, that is the place where I'm going to dwell, and that is the place where freedom is going to reign in each one of us, and we get to spread that. And so I just really want to encourage you guys, if you don't know what that's about, really, it, and sometimes I think preachers maybe sometimes say this as a, as a cop-out, but I'm really saying this to the, to the base of get in the hiding place and work this stuff out with the Lord. Work this stuff out with your team. Work this stuff out in relationship. And so um, I just want to, last thing is, is, is the story of the prodigal son if we've all heard it, the son goes to stupid things and he comes back to the father. I, I encourage you guys to read that story and realize that that story is, I don't believe that story is about a prodigal son. I believe that story is about a father that loved, a father that loved so much that because if you try to, try to filter that story through, through a son, then you're going to be like, this, this, this kind of makes no sense. Like, what, what's going on here? But when you see it through a father and how a father says, I, I love my son so much. It does not matter what he does. When you filter it through that, then you get a heart for how you can, how can you have a heart for a sex trader? Like, how can, have you guys ever thought about the worst of the worst in this world? Like, a sex trader is someone that trades women or trades little boys and make and profits off it. How can how can we as Christians love that person? But when you understand a father's heart, then I think it becomes deeper in you of just, man, I, I love everyone around. I don't care that they're I, I God, if you have me speaking to that person, I will go up to them. I will speak to them. I will pray for the for the slave traders. I will, I will pray for the, the downcast and all that. And so um, I just wanted to, I thought God really had that for our hearts, that we want to be powerful people. You guys are powerful people. And so um, I want to just hand it off to, to Evan right now, and he's just going to kind of, he's going to do an excellent job of Parker. All right, you guys appreciate hearing from Parker, one of, one of your own. Uh, for those of you guys who aren't necessarily involved in missions, uh, I didn't tell you exactly what he does. This is kind of 
Um, but Parker's in charge of mill missions, so uh, he has oversight of all the logistics and trainings and all that. And so he has a ton on his plate, uh, and he does that all uh, part-time. And so um, I appreciate everything that he does and the opportunity to uh, work with him. So I, I've, got, I've got a few things I'm going to run through, um, but I just wanted to tell you, because because uh, of a few things that happened this week, I wanted to give you an update as uh, where we stand with all four countries. I'm not going to do uh, a country overview for uh, Germany or India. We kind of skipped that. You guys can research that on your own. I'm sorry about that, but um, I'm sure you guys can research better than I. Uh, pastor Rion is the Global Ministries pastor here at New Life. He oversees all um, missions realms, so long-term missionaries, short-term trips, um, all of that. He is, he is my boss. Currently, right now, as we speak, he is in Egypt. And so uh, he's working on um, part of the reason why he's out there is working on some of the mill logistics. And so um, that is getting taken care of. You guys won't have to have any need or worry about that. Uh, you guys don't have to be concerned or your parents don't have to be concerned necessarily about that um, because Pastor Rion's out there. Some of the, some of the things that have happened, I, I was on the phone with one of our contacts in Egypt and um, if you guys don't know, uh, maybe this will be kind of a, an announcement, but I'll just run through it. Two of the teams out of the five um, will be going um, separate ways. And so um, one, of the, one of those teams, the contact is there with uh, Rion. He traveled out, and he's making connections there for that one team. The other three teams will stay with Casa Aldebara is our main contact there. It's the largest evangelical church in the Middle East uh, in Cairo. So three of the teams will stay together there. So things are progressing very well in, uh, in Egypt. Uh, I was on the phone um, with our contacts in Germany, getting some things squared away. DLA is actually going to Germany ahead of you guys, and so um, we're working on some reservations there and and some of that, but got to speak with the contacts, and, and they are super, super excited that you guys are going to be able to come. And so um, India, you guys, just a reminder, um, all India teams um, have a meeting today at 1 o'clock in the WPC 107, that's kind of down there and then to the right. Um, and so we have we have India contacts that are here today, and so um, they're specific to one of the teams. Um, but it would be it's going to be a great opportunity to ask questions about um, culture and dress and food and everything, and get the heart of people that do that. So um, so and then um, Peru, you guys have nothing to worry about. Peru is um, my one of my favorite countries, probably probably second. Um, watching the Olympics, my son has developed this like inner love for Canada. And so, um, so, uh, to me, to me, it's Peru, but Peru doesn't have a strong showing in winter Olympics. So, um, <laughs> but okay. Um, let me just fly through a couple of these things and, um, make some closing remarks here. Last week I had a uh, a magazine from 1956. It was a Life magazine. I left it up here for some of you guys to look at afterwards, and you guys paged through it. Um, the article was about Jim Elliott and Nate Saint and the other three missionaries that uh, went to Ecuador and were killed by the Aka Indians. And um, those of you guys who got to see that magazine, if you if you ever want to see it, I didn't bring it today, but uh, I can make that available at any other time. You can stop by my office. Um, it's it's intriguing. If not for the 10-page article that, that made a 
push for Wheaton grads, people going to Wheaton College, uh, hundreds of them graduated and left to go overseas as missionaries because of an article that was written. And um, so it's a, it's a small piece of missional history, and I, and I looked and looked and looked and looked and for years couldn't find anything and then stumbled upon it one time doing research, and I was like, I will buy that and, and get it. And then I bought it, and it didn't come, didn't come. And then finally came. It was like Christmas in my office when it came. Um, and so, but even if you don't care about missions or um, that article or Nate Sane or Jim Elliott, it's awesome to look at because of the advertisements in it. Um, in 1956, they were like thinking that they were on the verge of like really hitting it and so there's there's um an advertisement of a car going down the highway and the mom and dad are turned around facing backwards and the kids they're playing a board game together in the middle of their car because their car is just on the track driving itself and so that's what they were thinking that we would be doing in today's world so um, there was bacon pizza, I think. Somebody pointed that out. Um, Coke, co- Coke advertisements, obviously. Uh, a washer-dryer combination deal. So, um, it's, anyways, it's, ve- it's very interesting. But um, Jim Elliott, who is probably one of the most famous martyred missionaries of all time, um, because he kept journals and he, and he wrote some pretty unique quotes, Let me give you two quotes and we'll talk about it just real quick. Jim Elliott wrote this in his journal. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. A pretty epic quote for somebody who who eventually did do something that cost him his life. And he reached out um, further than anybody had at that point. And um, he was was willing to lay down his life to gain something that he knew uh, that he couldn't lose. And then one of my favorite quotes of all time is, is, wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you determine to be the will of God. He, he lived it. Wherever you are, be all there. We're going to talk about, we're going to talk about missions, and, and it, doesn't, it doesn't pertain to being missionaries. But think about this quote. Wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you determine to be the will of God. And then say this to yourself. Doesn't Satan do that already? Doesn't Satan live to the hilt every situation he determines to be the will of God, meaning that if he finds something that he thinks this is the will of God, isn't he going to then go and combat that thing? And so as we, as college and 20-somethings, as a younger generation, walk out into what we believe is the will of God, we can't just join onto a missions team and think, oh, great, this would be awesome. Oh, and she's cute, or he's cute, or this is going to be great. I got on the sweetest team. And not think at all that Satan thinks, man, this person just kind of struck a match and birthed a flame in their heart for missions and changing the world. And then some of you guys have experienced, I know, and even in this month, just trying to talk to you guys, uh, my, my family's been sick all week. Uh, a, couple of, a, a couple of times, the Saturday nights before this have been like hell on earth trying to get here. And I'm not one to try to over-spiritualize something, but I want to tell you this, is that when Satan finds the will of God and somebody operating in the will of God, he will live to the hilt against that individual. And so if that individual is not living to the hilt that situation, then there's going to be a clash right there. And the one with the most momentum 
is going to knock the other out of the way. And so as you guys walk into the next level, and that doesn't just mean missions, it just means whatever you feel like God's calling you in your life, you live it to the hilt because you're going to get attacked. Okay? So wherever you are, be all there. Live to the hilt every situation you determine to be the will of God. There's, on your, on your tables, there's um, a few handouts, and you guys can look at this later, and I know not all of you guys got this. There's a, there's a Peace Corps um, handout, there's a uh, Global Mapping International handout, um, and, there's, and there's kind of a chart about, about missional opportunities and employment opportunities. My, our, our hope in that, and we just don't have time to go through it today, is that um, you guys understand that living missionally doesn't mean becoming Jim Elliott and signing your life away on the dotted line. It doesn't mean trying to find an unreached tribe because those are becoming few and far between now. And so the days of selling, your, selling all your stuff and going far, far, far away where nobody hears from you in the next 10 years, those, those days are gone. And so what we aim to try to do is say, you guys have to get the missional mindset and live it wherever you are. And so all of these opportunities in these, hand, in, the, in these handouts say, listen, you can go into the missions realm and be a missionary, or you can just go into the professional realm and be a missionary there too. I, I, have, I have a great friend. His name is Josh Kales. He was, uh, he was my best man uh, in my wedding. He was a, he was a roommate uh, in college. And, and I remember sitting in the dorm room, and he was struggling over these mechanical engineering equations. And those of you guys who are in engineering, you know that um, you know exams in college are are for for me it was like fifty questions or a hundred questions or whatever. Well, if you're an engineer, you get like four questions, and and by the time the test is done, you've answered like one and a half of those questions. It's it's a very very difficult major. And I said, Josh. Why, why are you doing this to, to yourself? And, and he, a brilliant, brilliant guy. Um, and he, he, said, he said, you know what? When I was trying to pick majors, I picked mechanical engineering because I knew that with that job, I could get into closed countries or countries that are only open to people staying long-term that have a legitimate professional uh, reason for being in those borders. And so I thought, man... This man has purpose, and so we we graduate and um, we we move on in life. And he stands in my wedding, and I stand in his. And he gets a job uh, right out of school for for a, for an engineering corporation called Calidus. And very quickly, he becomes friends with the vice president and the president. And it was a smaller organization, but they were sending him to Asia all the time and and um and so he just gained a lot of favor and then he got called into the to the president's office one day and uh the the guy sat him down he said josh you know we've been sending you to china and to asia quite a bit and he said yeah he said well we're we're thinking about opening up our own branch there and instead of sending people here from tulsa all the way over there, we're thinking that we need people long-term and to hire people and fire people and train people over there and really sell product and, and have business meetings there with, with a full-time base there. And he said, yeah. And the president said, and we think you should run it. And Josh is like, I'm 25. <laughs> um, and, 
And he said, well, we've been watching you for the couple of years that you've been here, and we think that you're the best person for that. And so we want you to uh, go home, pray with your wife, and, and figure it out. Well, they said, we don't have any kids. And, and they thought, that, hey, this is maybe a good idea if, during this time. And, hey, we'll commit to two years of doing this. Uh, well, now, years later, he's still over there. Now, Calidus, since then, has been bought out by Honeywell, if you guys have heard of the Honeywell Corporation. And Josh is running a full-scale operation based out of Shanghai, meeting with some of the top-level executives that own and run and operate companies in China. He's now fluent in Mandarin along with his wife. Uh, they just had their first child over there, and he is changing a nation from the top down. He's having three-hour meetings with execs in business-level Mandarin, and then he's going, and then he's then he's developing those relationships, and he's changing the world in that. And so, we're not trying to tell you guys to go become a Jim Elliot. We're trying to tell you guys to whatever you are skilled at, whatever you have a God-given ability and talent inside of you, go and do that to the best of your ability and seek God every day while you do it. Because pastors and missionaries aren't the only ones that, that have to seek God. All of us have to seek God, and as we do that, God will grant favor. And you have no idea what door might fling open one day when you're 25 years old and the president of the corporation that you're working for welcomes you into his office. You have no idea. Matthew twenty-eight eighteen through 20, all of you guys know this. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. We're supposed to go and make disciples. This statement was spoken to disciples. I think this, in order to make disciples, we must first be disciples. And so as we kind of conclude a missional Sunday um, school month, what I want to say is this. Our goal is not to get you a stamp on your passport. Our goal is not to get you a sweet story that you're going to be able to tell um, your kids and your grandkids, though you will be able to do that. You'll experience things that you'll never forget. You'll develop relationships and friendships with the people on your team that will last a lifetime. But our goal in this is to make disciples, but first, in order to make disciples, we must be disciples. And so there's steps that we have to take, and all of us are on different plots on that map, but whatever it means in your heart, when you just think a silent thought in this room that echoes with my voice, when you think that thought towards God and you say, God, what is it that I need to do to become a better disciple? Do that. Go home and do that. If it's, if it's fall in love with the Bible, if it's fall in love with prayer, if it's getting rid of things, if it's doing more of this or less of that, do that. And take small steps. We're not trying to tell you to change your life right away because that's not what we're going to do when we go overseas to somebody. We're not going to tell them that we expect you to change your life right away. We're going to tell them that they've been invited on a sweet journey into the presence of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. I was driving to Michigan and... um, when you grow up and get married and 
and marry somebody from almost all the way across the United States, you realize that um, Christmases or summer vacations end up being uh, minivan rides from here to to Michigan. And um, we're driving and and with with kids and and everything, you you end up stopping in different places along the way to get snacks and use the restroom. And there was this one truck stop that we stopped at, and and I ran in. <laughs> And you try to figure out through a concession store and, and gas station and all that, where, where's the restroom? And, and I, I found the men's restroom. And you guys know um, how truck stop restrooms look and how, and how they're like, well, this one has got to like, take the prize. This was the worst rest, the restroom stop, truck stop ever. And this is like... There, I, I walk in, I'm looking for signs, I'm looking for a door. There's no signs, there's no door even. There's like the door is hanging off of it. You go in, you go in, and this was just a wreck. It was like this hasn't had any attention in anything. There's no stalls. There's just like shower curtains hung across to kind of make stalls, but the shower curtains are like too short and and not wide enough. And so... This is it's it was just it was just a wreck of a place and I'm thinking use the restroom and then a big burly truck driver comes in and like anyways I could go on a long trail there and then then you're then just even like washing your hands the, the knobs are broken off of the sink and so you're pushing this thing that's like that's like going to make your thumb bleed just turning on the sink and and the sink itself was gross and so this I'm just like trying to get in and get out as soon as possible and then and then tell my tell my wife that there's no way that I'm taking my kids in there that hopefully the women's restroom is is somewhat better than that and in the midst of washing my hands there I felt like the Lord spoke to me that that our righteousness is as filthy rags that the best of us is as dirty as that dirty truck stop thing. And what God, what God offers to us is like an extreme home makeover renovation. That if somebody walked in with a million dollars to whoever owned that despicable place in the middle of nowhere and said, hey, this is what I want to do for you. I want to take what, all of that out. I want to tear it all down and make it all brand new. But the funny thing is, is that sometimes we're okay with our mess we're like, no, it's okay. We're we're okay. We got to we got to see if you just pull that curtain over just a little bit, or if you, you turn it on this way, or you take whatever you, you you make do. And I think God's heart is. I have so much more for all of us, and the business that we have to be in is we have to be in replacing all of that, the thing that people can't even get away from. And say, this is what God offers to us. And it's not about what we can do. It's about what he's already done for us. But in order to do that, we must first be disciples. So my challenge, go make disciples. But while you do that, remember to always be a disciple. As we as we move on from here, I want to encourage you guys to, those of you who have haven't been to Mill Sunday School before this month, maybe as a team you guys could commit that, that this is something that you guys do and you guys get together and this is one way to build relationship and grab bagels and save a table and keep coming to this. And like Joe said, next month will be crucial for understanding the Holy Spirit and, 
and developing that community missionally. Um, as, as transitions have happened here at church, um, I'm going to start overseeing Revival Town, which is a Tuesday night prayer meeting that meets right here every Tuesday night, 6.30 to 8. And I want to encourage anyone who wants to come, if you just feel on a Tuesday night, I just want to go someplace and pray, there will be hundreds of people gathered here in a very, very uh, casual prayer meeting here. And uh, you can come and experience the presence of God. And, and maybe you guys as a team could come and then meet before or afterwards. But um, as, as we pray and get you guys moving towards um, the 11 o'clock service, I, I want you guys to join me in praying for Chile. None of us are going there this summer. Um, but there's a lot of people that are hurting there. There's a lot of people that are waking up this morning not in a home, missing parents and loved ones, and, and the same for Haiti. And, and so in with the tone of heart for nations and heart for people and hearts to be drawn towards the Lord, just join me in that. Heavenly Father, we come to you from a safe place, God. We come to you... Um, from the security of community and relationship and knowing what you've saved us from and knowing what you've done inside of us. Dear Jesus, we thank you for taking the dirty truck stop restroom sectors out of our hearts and out of our lives. And God, we thank you for replacing it with your glorious, forgiving, graceful, and merciful presence. God, we stand in awe of what you've done for us. And Jesus, we just pray that you would send workers to the harvest to tell other people about you. Holy Spirit, increase your level of activity among the peoples in the earth. Right now, we just lift up the nation of Chile. We lift up Haiti. God, we lift up those two nations who are hurting right now because of earthquakes because of things that have happened, God, that only you know why and how and, and for what time, God. But we pray that your will be done in those two great nations. We pray for leadership. We pray for wisdom to be acted by godly people. We pray that aid would be uh, there in a speedy fashion. God, what we pray that as people cry out for help, that they're answered not just by monetary funds or humanitarian aid, God, but by the presence of, of Jesus Christ. So we pray that people would be saved. We pray that revivals would happen. We pray that the, the churches in Chile and Haiti would be strengthened because of this, God. Jesus, we love you and praise you. In Jesus' name. Amen.